0: Welcome to the Property 3.0 podcast, where we are investigating blockchain and its potential impact on the property industry. Now, this podcast was started by me and Alex. Alex contributed to all the research and discussion points in this episode, but he couldn't actually make it here today to record. So Phil has kindly joined me instead. Welcome, Phil.
1: Thank you, Hattie. Thank you very much for having me.
0: You're welcome. Now, Phil, you are a good person to speak to about the blockchain 101 and its potential impact on real estate because in your day job you have a very full oversight of the whole real estate cycle right
1: yes exactly so in my role uh we buy buildings or development sites take them through planning design work with architects build them out and obviously find customers or occupiers to lease them and then sell them sell them on so yes that's what i do i am however new to blockchain and like alex i'm very skeptical about it and its potential impact um on the on, on the industry that i work in
0: yeah and that's really good because you understand like the reality of all the processes involved you're in a really good position to assess how useful it actually could be in in the industry
1: hopefully um so let's get to the beginning hattie and what actually is a blockchain and how does it work
0: okay that is a very good question and it's something That's the main reason that that we started this podcast because we found it really hard to find really clear, detailed explanations to understand what it actually was, rather than the classic description that um, I mentioned last time, which is it's a distributed ledger, and if it changes for one person, it changes for everyone. That really didn't do it for me. So in this episode, we're going to get a bit more into the nuts and bolts Um, again. I am new to this as well as Phil is new to this. And so, um, so for actual blockchain experts, this might, might be quite rudimentary, but for most people who are new to it, I hope that it gives uh, a better level of understanding than is normally available. So blockchain has actually been spoken about as a concept since the early nineties, but it really came to life in 2008 when there was a white paper released, which outlined the use of blockchain to create Bitcoin, which most of us have now heard of, is the biggest cryptocurrency by market capitalization. And Bitcoin is built on blockchain technology. So as a real starting point, you can think of a blockchain as a database, just a, da- a way to store information. But that is different to how we currently store information.
1: So I think for a lot of people, this is potentially confusing, this Blockchain and, and Bitcoin and how they relate to other each other. You're saying that Bitcoin uses blockchain and they started at the same time in this white paper, but they are two different things.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, whilst blockchain as an idea, as I said, has been talked about for about thirty years, the 2008 white paper proposed Bitcoin, which is they described it as an electronic peer-to-peer cash system and it requires no central authority so it doesn't need any bank and the reason why it doesn't need any bank is due to the blockchain technology so this was the real first like mainstream public use of blockchain and so that's in my opinion why people often think they are the same or like use them interchangeably um because They are like fully intertwined. And just as a side note, if you're interested, this white paper is literally like it's seven or eight pages long. And you can just download it and read it in five minutes. And it's just mind-boggling that something so short can literally have built a trillion dollar asset class.
1: I'm guessing there's a bit more to it than just seven pages. And I reckon it'll take certainly will take me. I did read it in five minutes. I probably have to read it several times <laughs> to uh, to understand it. Yeah, no, that's
0: that is fair, fair point. But um, I suppose the point is, it is something that can actually be explained quite succinctly.
1: So I guess one of the confusions between Bitcoin and blockchain is because the easiest way to help describe an electronic transaction is by talking about payments, because we we as a society are really comfortable with the idea of money moving around electronically and it never being held as a physical thing like it used to be.
0: Yeah, exactly. So they often come in the same sentence and like you'll notice even throughout this episode, we will use examples of financial transactions on the blockchain, but ultimately blockchain is the technology and then cryptocurrencies, which include Bitcoin, Ethereum, things like Solana, Dogecoin, Litecoin, there's literally like thousands of them now. And most of them use blockchain technology. And it's also worth saying that most cryptocurrencies are built on a public blockchain. So the blockchain that stores information about Bitcoin is held across the world in hundreds of thousands of different computers but you could also have a private blockchain. So again, like a store of information that only certain people can access. But generally when you're speaking about crypto and it's um, obviously like the current biggest use case of blockchain, we're talking about publicly accessible blockchains.
1: But what actually is a (laughs) blockchain? You're saying it's some sort of store of data?
0: Yeah, exactly. So if you imagine the data in an Excel sheet. You love Excel. Um, you've yeah. got sheets and sheets and rows and rows and columns and columns of data. And if I had access to that Excel sheet in theory, I could delete some of it without anyone else knowing. So if I was a hacker or even just a disgruntled colleague who had access to the right data with it stored within a normal database, um, you could try and change something or delete something and no one would actually know. It doesn't have any impact on the other data stored in the same place. But in contrast with blockchain, each block of data effectively references the previous block and then the subsequent block of data. And so if you want to go and change the data in one block, then that would change all the data in all the other blocks too.
1: So it is kind of like an Excel spreadsheet, but if you link all the cells together with each other, um, if they reference a previous cell and the following cell, if you delete all the data, then if you delete one bit of data, then the other, the other bits of data will change.
0: Yeah, that's actually, that's a good way to think about it. And then we get to this explanation that I was talking about that everyone jumps to, that it's a distributed ledger. And if it changes for one person, it changes for all. So the, like, the one bit that I've kind of missed out so far is that, um this chain of data is totally public and visible to anyone who wants to see it and that's the point about it being distributed so that information is held across as I said like in the case of Bitcoin at least hundreds of thousands of computers across the world um and we'll get on to why it being totally public is relevant later on
1: okay um so I'm getting my head around the actual blockchain but why is it any better than how we're storing data or money currently why? Uh, is Bitcoin or Ethereum better for me than keeping my money at Barclays or holding an investment in, say, the stock market?
0: Yeah, it's a good. It's good point. The The problem or perceived problem that we have at the moment is that we need that trusted third party. So we need Barclays to hold our cash or Hargreaves lansdowne to look after our investments and we rely on these bodies every day to store our data. And like that's obviously fine to a degree. But when you see these examples that we mentioned last time, like the Facebook, Instagram blackout in October last year, it shows how much we rely on these third parties.
1: Yeah, and I remember when when that happened, the price of Bitcoin jumped massively after that uh, particular incident.
0: Yeah, it's nuts. If you look at the, um, uh, the price history, it literally went up... 25% in the fo- the two weeks following the blackout. Because I think what happened was people thought, oh, God, what other major valuable global corporations do I trust in my data? And could they literally just get turned off like that without, without my control? And that obviously then um, pushed the appeal of, of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies up.
1: And then, of course, there's that mistake um, recently over Christmas that Santander made.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a really good example. Um,
1: so what happened there was Santander made an accidental second payment on Christmas Day to literally thousands of businesses, which cost them like £130 million. And it does make you realise that we put our faith in companies that can and do uh, sometimes make mistakes.
0: Yeah, exactly. And don't forget that for us, we obviously live in the UK in a pretty legally secure country but if you live somewhere where you don't feel that you can trust your banks or the authorities for whatever reason then actually being able to securely store your wealth without relying on that third party is pretty liberating
1: that does all make sense but surely you do still need someone to oversee and regulate things. What if I were to send you, say, £100 back, and actually wanted to send you a tenner?
0: <laughs> well, you're welcome to try that if you want. Um, but no, in all, all seriousness, there is literally nothing you can do about that. The way that Bitcoin and most cryptocurrencies deal with this is by being completely open and visible to everyone, but also completely anonymous. So that's why there's no need for trust. We don't need that trusted third party rubber stamping every transaction.
1: Okay. Can you explain that a little bit more? It's not entirely clear to me. <laughs>
0: yeah, fair. Um, so I think like explaining some of the structure might help. The Bitcoin blockchain is basically software that anyone can download. I can, you can, we can see all the transactions. Taking place. If you actually, it's really interesting. Exercise, if you just type in blockchain explorer into Google, you can choose like Bitcoin or whatever um, currency, and you can see every single Bitcoin transaction that is happening right now. But rather than saying Phil sent Hattie 10 pounds, you see this address, which will be like a really long string of letters and numbers, sent that address, which is another really long string of letters and numbers. 0.01 Bitcoin.
1: Okay. And what is the address actually for?
0: So the address is it just it is for the wallet where the Bitcoin or the currency lives. So it's kind of like the account number. But instead of you having to put in my name, my account number, my sort code, all of that to give me money, you all you need is this long. This long address. And this is where it starts to get really interesting is to access that address. So, to like access your account effectively, you have another super, super long code. But that's normally like to me, the layperson, it's only visible as a series of 12 words. And anyone who has those 12 words can access that account. So, those 12 words almost in themselves become like cash, like gold. So the safest thing to do with them kind of ironically is to write it down and actually store that in a physical safe because if in theory, like if it's saved on your computer, then someone could hack your computer and get that code and get access to your accounts effectively.
1: Yeah. But I guess equally someone could rob your house and and find that slip of twelve words and, and go and access all the yeah. crypto, which could be certain instances be hugely valuable.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right.
1: So I guess that's the price you pay then. If you hold cryptocurrency, you know exactly what you have and where it is, but you have to take responsibility for it and for its security.
0: Yeah exactly and this is again one of the questions for me about like how mainstream it will become because like frankly keeping money in the bank is a lot easier like you just have to give them I don't know when you call them up would you give them like your name and date of birth and they tell you how much money you have like um, it's, it's a lot more straightforward but obviously then we've seen banks fail you know within our lifetimes.
1: Yeah, exactly. Also, we know that they never actually have your cash just sitting there ready for you to use. They've got it out, they're lending it, they're investing it to other people. And if there's a run on the bank, there's to, to a significant degree, there's not a huge amount you can do about it.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right.
1: So that's all really interesting. But can we go back to this trust point, which seems to be a fundamental pillar of, of why blockchain is a thing?
0: Yeah, sure. So in like very layman's terms, each time a transaction happens, so you send me my £10 a of block of Bitcoin, let's say, um, the data from that transaction is bundled together with the data from another transaction.
1: So this is the block of data.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then for that block to get added onto the blockchain, um, onto all of the data of all the previous transactions, a complex mathematical equation needs to be solved and then once that's solved it's added to the blockchain and then this becomes the new confirmed record of all the correct data so that's like once that calculation is done and that's confirmed that's like the new truth
1: so I was pretty good at maths back in the day. It's school. at <laughs> A-level maths. I know I know my equations. You know, I can do some simultaneous equations Check you and so- solve some mathematical puzzles. And you're pretty good at maths as well. Um, could we solve these
0: mathematical
1: blockchain puzzles?
0: Yeah, do you know, that was literally one of the things that first intrigued me. I was like, I can do math. Maybe I can do this. Um, but then I realised that this is actually what the miners do.
1: Uh, The miners would keep hearing about about mining and as one wondering when they would come into blockchain story
0: yeah so that was learning like what mining miners actually did was quite a big learning curve for me so or learning point I basically imagined that the miner was like a little person running around doing different calculations at their computers but Uh, Sadly, it's far more boring nowadays, and most crypto mines are massive computers that are programmed to solve the calculations to add more transactions to the blockchain.
1: And this is where one of the physical implications is, right? An individual used to be able to mine from their own computer, but since it's become so mainstream and so lucrative, these mines are now often absolutely massive warehouses stacked full of computers. And this is where mainly the sustainability question comes into play, is each of those minds is presumably using energy to run the computers and, importantly, keep them, keep them cool.
0: Yeah, exactly. So then massive air conditioning as well as actually running the computers. So, yeah, so these computers are just wearing away all day long, trying to be the one to solve that puzzle to get the new block added onto the blockchain.
1: And when they do that, they get rewarded in Bitcoin
0: yeah exactly so the reason why mining is profitable the reason why people do it is because when you solve that equation to add the newest block on the chain you get paid and at the moment it's like just over six bitcoin which is around 200 grand or you know fluctuates all the time but yeah so you can see it's quite it's worthwhile
1: so that's how they incentivize people to actually make the blockchain secure the miners are the ones who make the network work they get paid for doing it they're sometimes referred to as the auditors
0: of blockchain so yeah this raises loads of questions about what you actually need for crypto to work effectively and for a blockchain to be secure so as i say one of the things is loads of miners so for bitcoin there's literally hundreds of thousands around the world distributed globally again coming back to that term, distributed with the distributed ledger and if you have enough miners and they're spread all around the world, then they're working in their own interests because they get paid if they make sure the blockchain functions properly. However, if over 50%, 51% of the miners all knew each other, they could collude together and they could in theory, uh, change, edit the previous blockchain um, entries. So, for example, they could delete the Phil Scent Hattie £10 worth of Bitcoin. i will never do to you. Thank you. <laughs>
1: and so I guess that goes against the whole point of it being secure. So really you need a massively distributed system with loads of people who believe in it working on it to actually make it be secure and and to be worth anything.
0: Yeah, exactly. So so that's where I slightly struggle to see how it will be applicable, like the purpose of a private blockchain. Totally understand how a super, how a public, super distributed blockchain uh, can work for things like currency. But there are loads of super smart, exceptionally intelligent people around the world looking at this and addressing these kind of problems. So I definitely th- don't think we should write it off for now. Um, but it's just something to be worth being aware of.
1: So in summary, blockchain is a distributed ledger.
0: <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> yeah, so always always coming back to that explanation. Um, but no, block, but blockchain ultimately is a way of storing data.
1: Bitcoin is currently the most famous and greatest use of blockchain. But again, Bitcoin and blockchain are different. Blockchain is a technology that Bitcoin is stored on
0: yeah exactly and bitcoin is a cryptocurrency and most cryptocurrencies are built on blockchain technology and that information in in its use for crypto is generally publicly accessible but at the same time totally anonymous and that gets rid of the need for a trusted third party like barclays shouldn't keep slating barclays you know any any bank any major bank
1: the miners are the computers solving the mathematical puzzles which ensure all the data from the blockchain is correct and they get paid in bitcoin or or whatever cryptocurrency
0: and the mines are actually very large computers or stacks of computers all whirring away to do these puzzles, they're not actually people sitting there doing mathematical equations, which I thought, and um, that's really, that's a a very quick overview into what actually blockchain is and how it works, particularly in the context of Bitcoin, and I'm going to leave it there for today, just because I feel like that's quite a lot of info to take in. Next time, we'll start talking a little bit more broadly about blockchain and its potential uses in the real estate industry.
1: Look forward to it. Thank you for having me.
0: You're very welcome. See you then.